خير ان شاء الله ليتس بيجن بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله الطيبين الطاهرين ويلكم اول اوف يو تو ذا ثيرد سيشن ويذ كتاب بدا الفوائد اند توداي وي جست كونا بي جوينج ان سورت اوف سويفت سكسيشن ان شاء الله توداي اي ثينك ذس بوك از كولد بدائع الفوائد اند اي ثينك توداي ذات تايتل we're going to see we're going to go from one faida to another faida in swift succession inshallah ta'ala and i was thinking to myself actually that you know it may have been wiser to skip straight to the third and fourth volumes because the first and second volumes while they were inshallah beneficial and yani we all gained something from that exercise i think at times i felt maybe the fawaid were not so clear maybe they were a bit blurry you know whereas these ones today they're a bit clearer inshallah and there are plenty of them uh, and of course as always any feel free to interject or um, i'm not sure of this connection my computer seems to have frozen i'm not sure if you can hear me can you hear me yes we can hear you okay i don't know my computer's frozen i can't move anything or anything nothing seems to be moving طيب i'll carry on for 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 now for the time being i don't know what's happened subhanallah خير ان شاء الله um, and so yeah they seemed a bit blurry whereas with this one they're inshallah much more clear um, uh, feel free to interject to uh, raise any points of interest uh, or anything that you wish to ask or whatever inshallah as we go along uh, this is the third volume of four volumes hopefully next week with our last session before ramadan we will cover the the final volume It's the fourth session, but I was telling me. I've lost count, as, as, as you can see clearly. طيب, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So, let me share the screen. Okay, this one here. Yep, can you see that, everyone? Ahmed bin al-Hussein. طيب, so... Uh, Uh, this here is a question this this volume here consists of a lot of fiqhi points a lot of usul points some language points as always uh, but also we have lots of masail and lots of nuqulat which are basically um, uh, either ibn qayyim is uh, quoting other scholars or he's uh, sort of sort of uh, paraphrasing something that somebody else had said so here this is a mas'ala that is an issue that was raised before ahmed ibn hanbal rahimahullah and he said ahmed, ahmed ibn hussein asks him ahmed salatu ahmedan aw salatu ahmed idha hadara al-asha' wa uqimat as-salah qala ibda bil-asha' he said if if uh, food is presented before me and the salah is called for you know the the call for salah is made what do i do he says begin with the food he said Do I eat as much as I want, or do I eat a little bit, little bit, and go for the salah? He said, "No, eat. Bel ta'asha. Eat, eat as much as you want. Eat comfortably." قلت أخاف أن يفتفوتني الصلاة الصلاة جماعة. I fear that if that if I do that, I may miss the salah in congregation. قال إن الرجل إذا تناول منه شيئا ثم تركه فكان في نفسه شغل عن من تركه الطعام إذا لم ينل منه حاجته. قلت فيأتي على من على ما يريد من الطعام ثم يصلي قال نعم وإن خاف أن تفوته الصلاة ما دام في وقت. he said because the person who is uh, 
you know, who has provided food or has shown his food, uh, is going to be occupied with that, mentally occupied with that. And so he should eat what he's to his fill or to eat as much as he, he requires and then set up for salah. Uh, so I just thought this is one of these masail that often uh, we often encounter. So it'd be nice to, uh, to hear what Ibn, Ibn, Ibn Hanbal has to say about it. He says he should do that even if he fears that he's going to miss the congregation as long as he's in within the time for the salah. طيب. Next one. أنه جائز للمؤمنين أن يقوموا قبل أن يروا الإمام للحديث بحديث أبي هريرة وقيمة الصلاة وصف الناس وصفوفهم وخرج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقام مقامه ثم أوما إليه بيده أن مكانكم ولم ينكر عليهم فدل على جوازه. This is another issue that we uh, and I يعني fortunately circumstances don't allow us to attend the masajid but I remember this issue comes up every once in a while which is people say oh you shouldn't stand up until you see the imam. So here we, the evidence is presented before us that actually, no, some of the Sahaba on occasions did this. They stood up, they waited for the Rasul to turn up, and uh, yani they, were in, they were standing waiting for him. So it's optional, whatever it is you do. طيب. Uh, Nine six four. So this is a further regarding. Can you lead a child in prayer? This was interesting. So Ahmed is asked about uh, leading your children in prayer uh, in farida. Is that technically considered a congregational prayer? He says, You shouldn't lead that the, the, the child or the kid in obligate obligatory prayers. And then he says, The only evidence we have of the Prophet uh, uh, leading a child, it's only a child in salah, is in a voluntary prayer. And this is the evidence of this is the hadith of Ibn Abbas, where the Prophet recited a long surah. And the hadith of Anas, again, it's a voluntary prayer. So I find that interesting. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Feel free to share. طيب, here we have a set of masail where, where basically Ibn al-Qayyim is saying there's ikhtilaf, there's ikhtilaf, ikhtilaf. So these are issues that maybe they're dated for some of us, or maybe there was a period in, and there was a period where uh, people were obsessed on a certain particular meticulous issues pertaining to the salah, okay, because they were considered, uh, they were markers of where you whether you are a madhabi, adhere to a madhab, or you are, say, non-madhabi, slash salafi. One of those issues, of course, is where do you place your hands in salah? The other one issue is, for example, how do you place your hands in salah? How do you hold your hand? Like, do you do this or this and so on? So here, Ibn al-Qayyim is saying, or the, the opinions are, the diverge, there's a divergence of opinion, or there's a variety of opinions uh, narrated from Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Uh, and then at the end, he says something nice. And that is basically the crux of the issue here. That all of these are options and they're all acceptable options. So not they don't make a big thing. Don't make a, what's that saying? Mountain out of a mole or whatever. Same thing here. That these hadith all narrate different ways or different um, uh, ways, ways of doing these things. Where to place your hands and where to how to hold your hand. He said all of them are acceptable. So this is a nice rule, that these are all acceptable. طيب, let's move on to the next one. Rawa Hanbal anhu, 
This is not Hanbal, Imam Ahmed's son. This is another Hanbal. Imam Ahmed had three sons. Abdullah, Salih, and Hanbal. Wrote Hanbal on who either can the masjid do a qari'a at the tariqi or tariqan yuslak or yusluku. Fresh fell for Tahfi for Ajabu Ili. Wayne can a masjid and Mortezin and Ahluhu, Fihi, where your donor be Valika, Fala, or Abihi, but Senorja, inshallah. This is about how long one should recite. He said, if this masjid is on the pathway uh, or on the street, it's better to shorten your prayers. The Imam should shorten his prayers and not prolong them. But if it was a proper masjid, a designated masjid, and the people of that masjid, the regulars of that masjid, are pleased or are happy with a extent or long salah, then uh, then there's no issue with that. Uh, this is, of course, fiqh of nafs as well, to know the congregation, to know the people you're leading, not to uh, overwhelm them with, uh, with things that... Uh, they um, they will struggle with. So this is a, this is an interesting um, passage. And he said something else afterwards. Uh, yeah, any different surah that he would recite and so on. Fatiha, Fatiha. Okay, okay. Let's move on to the next one. Okay. وروى عنه أحمد بن هاشم الأنطاقي هل يجزئ مع قراءة الحمد قال إن كانت مثل آية الدين وآية الكرسي وروى عنه محمد بن حبيب يكره أن يقرأ الرجل في صلاة الفجر بقل يا أيها الكافرون أو رأيت إلا أن يكون في سفر عن عمر بن ميمون عن عمر أنه صلى بهم الفجر في طريق مكة فقرأ بقل يا أيها الكافرون قل هو الله different basically here this is showing us that in general it's disliked to recite short surah in fajr here in fajr because uh, unless you're traveling, but and then he gives some evidence that Umar bin Khattab once on a journey to Mecca recites in the first rakah In other words, the the norm for Salat al-Fajr is that one should prolong that salah somewhat. Um, so this here is a point about some of the Sahaba believing uh, that used to, used to hold that khamr. Uh, wine uh, is permissible. Okay, there is no blame on those who believe and do righteous deeds, so long as if they whatever they eat, as long as they are have taqwa and are believers and do righteous deeds. So they used to say these sahaba, these these, uh, and he mentions two sahaba here. He says, we are believers and we have done, we do righteous deeds on the face of it. So there's no blame on us in what, in what we uh, consume. So he says, The Sahaba did not declare these two, these two Sahaba to be disbelievers. And they made clear the hukm regarding this issue. He says, this is the interesting bit. Because the rulings regarding the Sharia were not apparent and clear and obvious to all. Had any Muslim say, said this today, we would declare him to be disbelievers. So here, this is talking obviously about something that we all know as. What are known, what those things that are known of this deen, of this by necessity. So very obvious things. The interesting thing here, the point here is, and Ibn Qayyim touches on this in I'lam al-Waqeen, which we will inshallah get onto at some point, is that what is ma'loom min al-deen is not fixed 
across time and age and uh, across all times and ages. In other words, there is something that could be ma'lum min al-deen bil-darura today that in 5, 10, 100, whatever years time is no, no longer ma'lum min al-deen bil-darura. Because if we say ma'lum min al-deen bil-darura are those things that you can expel someone uh, out of the region for knowing, for, uh, sorry, for, for, uh, for violating, uh, then this rule, this uh, 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 this 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 rule, the second rule, is extremely relevant because what is ma'lum min al-din bil-darura changes according to time, place, and so on. So just I thought I'd, I'd draw that to your bring that to your attention here. طيب, let's move on to next thing he does actually uh, is. Uh, Excuse me for a second. Next thing he does is he goes through some mufradat, which are basically words. I'm not sure what's happening here, subhanAllah. I'm trying to minimize the screen. Oops. Okay. All right. Okay, inshallah. So the next thing is sort of for 30, for, sorry, for about 15 or so pages, Ibn al-Qayyim gives us a lexicon. Okay. Uh, here he says he basically starts going through uh, words, some tafsir, and he says, "Okay, He's talking about here Imam Abbas, but some of this here and later on, we're going to come across it soon, inshallah. Uh, Imam Ahmed's tafsir of certain uh, words. So, yeah. So you may, some of you may find this useful. Uh, he's this is the basically tafsir." Some of it from Ibn Abbas, most of it from Ibn Ahmed, that you may find interesting from page 1017 to 1034. Here he's talking about a judge or a person uh, exercising that role of a judge or adjudicating between people. And to be honest, what he says here applies to everyone in, in, in anyone who has interactions or wide interactions and dealings with people. He says here, a judge requires to, is, is, needs to have two types of knowledge. Knowledge of the kulliyat al-ahkam, he calls it here. So the general rules, the rules in theory. And to know the people and the realities he's dealing with. يميز به بين الصادق والكاذب والمحق والمبطل ثم يطبق بين يطبق بين هذا وهذا بين الواقع والواجب فيعطي الواقع حكمه من الواجب ومن له ذوق في الشريعة واطلاع على كماله وعدلها وسعته ومصلحته وأن الخلق لا صلاح لهم بدونها البتة علم أن السياسة العادلة جزء من أجزائها وفرع من فروعها وأن من أحاط علما بمقاصدها ووضعها مواضعها ولم يحتج معها إلى سياسة غيرها البتة فإن السياسة نوعان سياسة ظالمة والشريعة تحرمها والسياسة عادلة تخرج الحق من الظالم والفاجر فهي من الشريعة عليمها من عليمها وخفيت عالما خفيت عنه So this bit here is about the two types of knowledge that one requires Again, this is a theme that we will turn to time and again طرق الحكمية, he discusses this in detail لم الوقعين elsewhere But it's just something as a general rule that's not sufficient to just know the theory or what's in the books. The application is a different exercise altogether and one that requires us to have, one of the marks of a mufti in, 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 
in the history of this ummah is that mufti is a person of the neighborhood like everyone knows him and he knows everyone that's one of the sort of uh, not requirements uh any written requirements but one of the expectations that a mufti is accessible he knows the his surroundings he knows the people he's dealing with and so he tailors his fatwa according to that he tailors his fatwa he facilitates and he makes things clear in accordance with the people he's dealing with and that also depends on the individual himself so maybe a particular individual a fatwa uh, a fatwa that suits him would not suit somebody else because of his ability or his capacity to handle uh, the, the, the shari hukum and the other person can't do that so therefore he finds a way out for him finds a leeway within the parameters or within the boundaries that the sharia permits not something outside that but within the boundaries that the sharia permits and then he says something very nice about the sharia and its aspiration to justice and so on uh, okay then he says here something about bayina jumla, you know bayina is uh, is we we can say evidence but here he says wafil bayina ismun likul ma yubayyinu alhaq bayina is an uh, um, a name or a word sorry that signifies or denotes anything that makes clear yubayyin alhaq makes clear the truth the truth regarding the veracity of something woman khassah bishahidain anyone who says bayina is just the two witnesses falam yuwaffi musammaha haqqah he says he hasn't really fulfilled the true meaning of this word. This is very relevant. Why? Because in discussions regarding, for example, other forms of evidence that we are encountering or that we are uh, inventing, you know, so there were discussions once upon a time about the use of, say, CCTV or DNA and so on. So if I were, if I believe that if Ibn Qayyim was alive today in 2021, he would say, actually, yeah, this is a bayina. This is a... Uh, this is an evidence. The evidence is not the two eyewitnesses with their eyes. Other things can, uh, they can be there in lieu of these things. But actually, the interesting thing is, is I think the system that they apply in a lot of courts, which is um, they get an expert to confirm. So it's not the, you don't basically say, here's the CCTV and you play it. You get an expert to confirm, yes, this CCTV is accurate, or this DNA is. Uh, we can confirm that this is this person's uh, DNA and so on. So they have to get an expert, an expert witness. Uh, this is probably how it should be done. And this is Adil. And Ibn al-Qayyim in a moment will be saying, I think, something here he discusses. Uh, what what justice is and the meaning of justice and so on. Here we have a very long discussion, which I'm not going to... I'm just going to pinpoint but I'm not going to indulge and we're not going to go into, which is, a, he gives you these one of these uh, imaginary debates between two, two jurists. One who was, who was for uh, many semen, uh, seminal fluids, uh, who advocated that seminal fluids are pure. And the other one said, no, it's a very nice discussion. And he goes on for about 12 or 13 pages, extremely interesting. And as typical of Ibn Qayyim, he shows you sort of tries to evidence both sides. And it's, it's a proper debate. So you have the initial arguments, follow up arguments, the rebuttals and so on. I do recommend reading it uh, if, you, if you have the time. Here we have three interesting masail that I thought would be worthwhile sharing very quickly. So he said, okay, we have a masjid. This is from Ibn Aqil, by the way, if I'm not mistaken. He, I mean, I could go back and check, but I won't need to. I'd rather just carry on. So masjid, alayhi waqf, or alayhi waqf. There is a masjid that is, that is supported by an endowment, kharib. 
it's in a derelict state. There is no, there isn't enough money in the Waqf funds to support its rebuild or to sort of refurbish it or rebuild it. Can we, here it doesn't, it's not clear whether he's talking about the actual masjid itself, the, the set of furniture of the masjid, which, or he talks about the funds that were there for the waqf. He says, can we transfer those things, whichever it may be, to the main masjid that people in the village, that people attend? He said, a number of scholars said, this is permissible. He says, Ibn Aqil okay. Ibn Aqil said, no, actually, Okay, so it's obviously clear this is not even Aqil, it's obviously clear that he's talking about the funds. He says, actually, Ibn Aqil said, Ibn Aqil said, no, the money needs to go to that particular uh, masjid for which where the, that the endowment funds here must go to that masjid for which it was designated. He says, المسألة, He says, Ibn Qayyim, the proper position or the most uh, accurate thing to say or the most correct thing to say in this case, and then Masjid in Ta'attal Bihait in Taqal Ahluhu Anhu Bakiya Fimakan Layusallafi Fasab Makaluhu Jama' al Jama'a. He says, re- the reality is if this masjid is no longer functioning and nobody attends it, then the money or the funds should be transferred to the main masjid. And so the, the position of the majority is the correct position. But if people, its neighbors, neighbors of this masjid are still attending, even in these conditions, then the it should be uh, supported to the extent it can with the funds that are available. So that's a nice one masala. He says another masala he brings up. He says, He says he was a man uh, he, uh, this is uh, uh, bit فأنفق عليه مدة ثم قصر في نفقة المرأة وعلّل ذلك بأنه في مقابل ما كان أنفق على الجارية. He says he was spending money on her, on this carer, and then he stopped spending money, saying that مقابل ما كان أنفق على الجارية. He says I might as well be spending it directly on the the assistant here. فقال هذا جهل منه. He said basically his fatwa was look this is this is being stu- he's being stupid here. Because anyone who marries a blind woman knows full well that he she needs an assistant or a carer. So he knows full well that the responsibility, the financial responsibility, is on the husband. In the same way that if man if a man marries a woman of a particular honorable status he needs to find um, he needs to provide basically a servant for her okay. he is asked about a man who enters the masjid in, on the day of Jum'ah he heard the Muballigh 
So not the imam, the people behind the imam, the ones who, who, who raise their voice and notify the people behind. Now, this person has entered while people were in Rukur. Does he uh, follow the, the Mubalik or does he follow the Imam? He says here, He said he should actually estimate and determine what where is the Imam in the Salah. So it may be the case that the Imam has uh he's come up from rukur in which case he hasn't other he, he didn't adrak raka he didn't uh, catch the raka um, so that's another interesting point طيب. uh there's another question here he brings up uh, a christian woman dies she has a muslim fetus she, she dies in the baby like the fetus dies too uh, they're both put in the grave. He says, in this grave, there is na'im and adab. There is punishment and there is bliss. He says, as for the bliss, it's for the the baby. And as for the punishment or the suffering, it's for the mother. Uh, he says, He says, this isn't far-fetched to say. It's understandable. It's plausible. He says, He says, in the same way that if in a grave, we have a believer, righteous person, a fajr, a corrupt person or whatever, or um, a bad person, I'd say. So in that same grave, you'll have a combination of both bliss and pleasure and suffering and uh, and hardship. Uh, I don't know what you guys make of that. Feel free to share your views. What is this here? Mm. Okay, in Fa'idanafia, says an important or useful benefit. this is uh, an interesting point about how the messengers uh, dealt with those people, people in power, people in authority. Uh, basically, it's Quranic adab. So he says, look at how Musa السلام, addressed Pharaoh. He says, you know, would you be interested, Pharaoh, in in uh, in, in um, uh, elevating yourself he didn't tell him he didn't command him he didn't command Pharaoh he just suggested it I'm not going he didn't say I sh- shall I purify you he says would you be interested in uh, purifying yourself so he, it, it suggests it was suggestive it, it was almost as though uh, 
Musa is suggesting to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is the one responsible for purifying himself. Then he says, When he suggested to his father, or asked his father, he says, He says, Why do you worship? Why? Father, why is it you worship? This thing that doesn't hear or doesn't see and is of no benefit to you. He began addressing his father with the father as opposed to his name, as opposed to his name. He says, and then he 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 phrased this this uh, this point in as in a question. Why why do you worship this thing that doesn't benefit you, uh, doesn't hear and doesn't see? And he didn't tell him. Uh, do not worship. He says, why do you worship? ثم قال يا أبتي Father, again, إني قد جاءني من العلم ما لم يأتيك فلم يقل له إنك جاهل لعلم لك He said, Father, you know, I've something, uh, some knowledge has come to me that uh, that hasn't been come to you. He didn't tell him, you're a ignorant person, you have no knowledge. Uh, but he chose the most convenient or the most suitable and appropriate and uh, expression. And then he says, Pharaoh, uh, 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 and then he gives you several other examples of this point. Uh, something worth worth studying or worth thinking about, just how the Quran teaches us how to talk to different people. This is really nice here. Ibn Aqil. Uh, said a person asked me which is better the the, the prophet sallallahu room or the kaaba he says فقلت. so i said to him in if you mean just the stone or the actual building he says no doubt the kaaba is better وإن أردت وهو فيها فلا والله. he said if you're talking about the prophet sallallahu room while he was in that room he says by allah no way as in his room is far better than the kaaba ولا العرش وحملته. Not even the throne and the ones who are carrying the throne. Not even paradise. Not even the the planets in orbit. He says, because in that room is a body. If it were weighed or scaled along with the the the, uh, the heavens and the earth, it would have weighed more than it. Uh, weighed more than them. It's just a nice... Very nice way uh, of saying that. I liked it anyway. Uh, <clears throat> this is interesting as well here. He says, some very like very meticulous or very specific type of wara is that you don't accept a gift given to you by someone at in a moment of excitement or, or deep sadness. Because that's like a drunken person giving you a gift. And we know full well that proper decisions can only be made while your mood is stable. Anyone who gives something in that moment subsequently suffers or regrets. ومن هنا لا يقضي القاضي وهو غضبان. And this is uh, an example of the, the hadith of Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم says a judge should not judge between two people or should not adjudicate between two people while he is angry. Uh, this is 
this is an interesting point, uh, I think a beneficial one, but also brought to mind how I, it's the practice of many charities, I notice anyway, uh, especially during Ramadan and during other occasions to sort of really pump up people emotionally and then people commit to things. And here he's saying, actually, he's not saying it's prohibited or wrong or whatever necessarily, but he says, what I dictates that you should not, you, the receiver, should not accept a gift from someone while he's in that state because he's not in a fit state of mind. It's just an uh, interesting fact how he uh, comes to that and how he sort of deduces that from this hadith. But also one that I think we should bear in mind, especially in these, uh, in the few weeks, inshallah, coming up, these auspicious times, the month of Ramadan, we ask Allah to enable us to, to witness it. Uh, Okay, we're going to skip this one benefit and go to this next one. Uh, I've wrote 1078 uh, benefits regarding gifts, but we'll skip it, inshallah. But you may refer to it, 1078. Now here, there's a point here he makes about justice, which I, a very long point, but this is the only bit I wanted to draw attention to. فَإِذَا ظَهَرَتْ أَمَرَاتُ الْعَدْلُ وَتَبَيِّنْ وَجْهُهُ بِأَيِّ طَرِيقٍ كَانَ فَثَمَّ شَرْعُ اللَّهِ وَدِينُهُ وَاللَّهُ تَعَالَى لَمْ يَحْصُرْ طُرُقَ الْعَدْلُ وَأَدِلَّتُهُ وَعَلَامَاتِهِ في شيء ونفي غيرها من الطرق التي فيها مثلها وقوى منها بل بين بما شرعه من الطرق أن مقصوده إقامة العدل وقيام الناس بالقسط فأي طريق استخرج بها العدل والقسط فهي من الدين لا يقال إنها مخالفة له فلا, فلا تقول أن السياسة العادلة مخالفة لما نطق به الشرع بل موافقة لما جاء به بل هو جزء من أجزائه ونحن نسميها سياسة تابعا لمصطلحكم وإنما هي شرع وحق here, this, this is a question. Is there justice outside the Sharia? Some people ask this question sometimes. Ibn Qayyim says no. What we say is that all the Sharia aspires to justice. The Sharia aims, the theology, the aim, the purpose of the Sharia is to establish justice. He says, and the Sharia did not limit the paths or the the ways to attain justice to a set particular, to, to, to a particular number or particular kind. He says, so whatever, anything that fulfills or attains or um, realizes justice is, we don't say it's outside the Sharia and therefore justice exists outside the Sharia. We say, no, it's part and parcel of the Sharia. And this is an interesting point because if you say that, there is sharia, there is justice outside the sharia. You have equated something else with the hukum of Allah Azza wa Jal. That's the, tr that's the little, that's the trick here. What we say actually is no, anything that, that uh, realizes justice is part and parcel of the sharia. But here, juz'un min ajzaiyah, as he says. He says, and as for calling it, you know, something else, siyasa, qanun, whatever, then this is, is, we're just going along with your terms. But reality is, we consider it part and parcel of the sharia. This is a good response to that question, I believe. Allahu ta'ala a'lam. Tayyib, here. He says, and carries on, he says, وَتَقْسِيمُ النَّاسِ لِلْحُكْمَ إِلَى شَرِيَةٍ وَالسِّيَاسِ كَتَقْسِيمِ مِنْ قَسَّمِ الطَّرِيقَةِ this is a sort of side point. This is some people, some people uh, uh, say that the path to Allah is there are two types of paths. There's the Sharia, which is the apparent, and there's the Hakika, which is the reality. He says this is nonsense. This is a taqsim batil. Okay, uh, and then he goes into detail. He says so. Therefore, when we say the hukum is Sharia and Siyasa, he says this is again nonsense. This is actually. It's all Sharia as long as it attains or fulfills justice. 
Uh, <clears throat> let's go to the next point here. This is an, an interesting point. Ibn Aqil again. This book here is Al-Funun, a, a big book, a huge book. They say that it was the largest book ever written in Islam. Unfortunately, it was lost. Maybe one day we'll find it. I think bits and bobs have been found and there have been attempts to compile everything that Ibn Aqil, uh, uh, everything that references this book, Al-Funun. Okay, it's a huge book. I can't remember uh, how many hundreds of volumes. Okay, but unfortunately, it was it, it, it's lost. We have yet to find it, and maybe Allah will facilitate for somebody or a group of scholars to find it and then edit it. So anyway, he Ibn Al Qayyim obviously had access to this book, and he quotes uh, quotes it extensively here. So one of the things he brings up here actually. He says, النساء لو عرض فيهن حب السحاق منعنا خلوة بعضهن ببعض. He says, if we know that certain women have a propensity to lesbianism, we are to prevent them, the the, the authorities or the government or whoever it may be, to prevent them from mixing together. Uh, he says, عز بعض العلماء رجل بطفله فقال له قد دخل بعضك الجنة فاجتهد. Uh, he, another faida, he says, some scholars said to a man who, uh, some people uh, uh, gave, some scholars gave condolences to a man whose daughter had passed away. And they said to him, part of you, part of you has entered Jannah. So try your best uh, for, for the rest of you not to sort of, uh, that the rest of you doesn't miss out. So Ibn Al-Qayyim says, you know, there's something to say about this. This is a testimony regarding a specific person, regarding this little child, this baby, this girl. He says, we do not say that any, we do not, we, we say in general that the children of believers are in paradise. We accept that. But he says, we can't testify that any specific person will enter Jannah. Uh, in the same way that we say all believers will enter, believers will enter Jannah. Okay, all believers will enter Jannah. But we can't say that specific person or any specific person will enter Jannah. And he says, one day Aisha al Mu'minin witnessed a uh, funeral for uh, one of the children of the Ansar. And she said, This is, uh, she said, uh, she described this child as she says, There's a bird floating in Jannah. How on earth do you know that? Uh, this is useful because we see um, online, especially, I see. Uh, people condolences and people making writing comments and um, uh, and saying things like you know your son or your child or whoever is roaming now in paradise. He says you know what Maidrik. He says how do you know that? And we say this to this person giving condolences. How on earth do you know that part of this person? In other words, his child has entered Jannah. Okay. This is a bit he talks here actually about the benefits of marriage, but I thought we'd postpone this because in Rodas al-Muhibbin, Ibn al-Qayyim is going to go on and on about this. But it's an interesting thing. He gives you a set of fawaid uh, that come about as a result of marriage. By the way, as you can see, this book, and we've seen this before, but maybe it's more obvious today, that this is a jumble. <laughs> there is no theme that runs through this book. It's just benefit after benefit. It's miscellaneous. It's it's mixed. and uh, it's, it's a mixed bunch of benefits. Here we go on to a benefit question regarding who is better, Aisha or Fatima? 
He says, الخلاف يكون عائشة أفضل من فاطمة أو فاطمة أفضل. إذا حرر محل التفضيل صار وفاقا. If we manage to single out or identify what exactly we're comparing, we are we will be able to uh, give each one their due. فالتفضيل بدون بدون التفصيل لا يستقيم. He says just simply saying one is better than the other without specifying, without giving reasons, without clarifying the reasons, he says is not right. He goes on to in some detail, but then he says, uh, he says وإذا وإذا ثبتت وجوه التفضيل ومواد الفضل وأسبابه. If the reasons that we give precedence for one over the other, or we favor one over the other, are made clear. صار الكلام بعلم وعدل. That speech then becomes uh, just and based on knowledge. He then he says, وأكثر الناس إذا تكلم في التفضيل لم يفصل جهات الفضل ولم يوازن بينها. Most people, when they speak about others, they do not make clear where exactly or in which way that person is better than the other. And he does not, they don't do a balancing act. So basically you're unfair or you, you're unfair to the, to, you're unfair to one party or the other or you're unjust. And if you combine this, first thing, you haven't even done an exercise of balancing. Not only that, but you've also gone one step further. And you have this hawa or a particular, uh, you, you favor a particular person owing to very personal reasons or partisanship or whatever. He says you're going to be talking uh, in, an, in an ignorant and an oppressive or unjust manner. Says, then he gives, he says, Ibn Taymiyyah was asked a number of questions of this kind, which is better. And he always gave an interest, he gave uh, yeah, a, um, a helpful answer. And he gives many examples. Um, which is better to be rich or and grateful or, or poor and patient. Ibn al-Qayyim has a book on this, of course. Ibn, Ibn Taymiyyah's answer is the best of them is the one who fears Allah the most. Yeah. He says, in which is better, the last 10 days of Ramadan or the first 10 days of the Hijjah? He says, as for the last 10 days of uh, Ramadan, uh, they are the best nights and the first 10 days are the best days. Yeah, and he basically fair answers. Which gives everyone their each of these are right. He gives many other examples, which is better the night the Prophet was ascended to the heavens, Laytul Isra or Laytul Qadr. Laytul Qadr is better for the general Muslims, Laytul Isra is better for the Prophet, and so on. Then he says, uh, which is who is better, Khadija or Aisha Umayyil Mu'mineen. He says, Khadija, you know, the beginning of Islam was better, Aisha, the end of Islam is better. Yeah, I need these sort of answers. But then he says something which I want to share. Okay. Here is a very delicate point that only those whom Allah has has allowed, uh, has given vis- um, vision to, can, will see, will hear. Which is, in أَنَّ كَثِيرًا مِمَّنْ يَتَكَلَّمُ فِي التَّفْضِيلِ يَسْتَشْعِرُ نِسْبَتُهُ وَتَعَلَّقَهُ بِمَنْ يُفَضِّلُهُ وَلَوْ عَلَى بُعْدٍ This is many people who when talking about who is better, and you know this is a very common discussion. All of us, I'm sure, has, <laughs> have been asked, you know, who is better, who is more knowledgeable, who is this, or which book is better, whatever it may be. Very common. You very very common. It's it's actually an amateur question if you ask me. In many cases, who is better, who is more knowledgeable, and that stuff, because you need to specify why, which reason. Give me the exact specific reason as to why this person, and he may be better in something, and the other person may be better in something else. So he says, 
But many people, when they speak about these things, speak from a very, very sub personal or subjective uh, reasoning. Uh, Okay, then he'll he'll he praises on this person that he likes and say all sorts of wonderful things. He says because he likes this person, or this yeah this person, that causes him to elaborate even more. Okay, Okay, he says, and talking about all the virtues of this person without mentioning their shortcomings or without mentioning the favors or the virtues of the other person, the good things about the other person. He says, Ibn Qayyim, he says, if you were to consider the vast majority of people, you find that most people talk in this manner. And this is in complete contradiction to the path of knowledge and justice that and which Allah uh, and which Allah will not accept. Which, and you know, which Allah will not be pleased with. And this is this is very commonplace among the people who you know partisans or uh, of particular shiuch, particular madhahib. Uh, every one of them speaks favorably of his sheikh or his path or his uh, of his madhab and fails to mention the good things about others. طيب, Bismillah. Let's go on to the next faida. Okay, there's a lot more to go through. I'm just a little bit conscious of the time. طيب, إذا غصب مالاً وبنى به رباطاً أو مسجداً أو قنطرة فهل ينفعه ذلك أو يكون الثواب للمغصوب منه؟ طيب, he says if a man uh, unlawfully takes money. And with that money, he then builds a rabat. Okay, so a, a sort of place for rabat can mean one of two things. It can mean either a place of where people would go to um, uh, for the for sort of to uh, uh, what do they call them? And a place that people go to for the purposes of worship, away from not a masjid as such, but a place where people are away from the main city away from the town, away from people. It's a place where people can worship. Of course, they do the salah, but it's not a masjid per se. Or it can be a place where the the, the borders of the Muslims are protected, okay? It's one of those two meanings here. I'm not sure which one he's referring to, but it doesn't matter, regardless. He says, a person gets this money unlawfully. He then goes and builds a rabat or a masjid or a qantara, a, a, a bridge. Will this be of benefit to him? The person who took this, who stole this money. Or will the reward of building these places go to the person whom to whom this money actually belongs? Ibn Aqil. Ibn Aqil said, None of them get any benefit, they get any reward. As for the one who stole the money, he, should, he will be punished, or he should be punished. And everything he does with that money is a recurring sin. And as for, he says, and as for the person to whom the money belongs, he says, why would he be rewarded? Well, for rewarded for what? That building, he says he didn't, that the, 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 he had no intention and no uh, purpose behind it. Like he didn't will for it to be built. He says, and if 
uh, if there's no intention and there's no action, uh, then what are you being rewarded for? You just saw, this isn't something you went about doing yourself. Somebody else did this with your money, which he took from you unlawfully. He says, well, what, should, what will happen is that on the day of judgment, the person who, to whom this money belongs will appear before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask or take his rights from the person who stole the money. This is Ibn Aqil's view. Ibn Al-Qayyim comes and tells us. He says, Actually, there's something to say about this. He says, He says, because the benefit that's going to happen, the, the, the benefit that, the, that will... Uh, that will uh, happen to the people it, it, it comes about as a result of the money that belongs to the person this person and the actions of this other person he says and the one who stole the money even if he was he used to be punished for his actions and and the thing he did and 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 the one who's oppressed in this case will have a right to to take whatever rewards he wants from him. Uh, he says, uh, uh, he says, He says, if he had done this, this the thief, and then waste, as in stole the money, and then wasted it on things that are prohibited, he would have been punished twice, twice, twofold. He says, but if he takes this money and then does something good with it, free a prisoner, build a masjid, build a rabat, then he is mixed good with bad. He says, as for the one who to whom this money belongs, he says, even if he did not intend those specific things, those specific acts, the reality is this good came about as a, as a result of money that belongs to him. He says, it's similar to the good that the person attains or the reward that person gains as a result of having a good child. Even if he specifically didn't intend those specific things that the child will do. He says theft, having your money stolen is a, is a, is a calamity. If that money is then taken uh, and spent else in, in something good, then as a result of that musibah, some khair has come. And if, if calamities bring about good, you don't, you don't hope for a, a calamity, but if a calamity brings about good, then there is no doubt that this person will be rewarded. So this is Ibn al-Qayyim's reply or engagement with Ibn Aqil. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Ibn al-Qayyim here, bear with me a second. Ibn al-Qayyim here moves on to a different point regarding Alif Lam Mim. Uh, he says, you know, this the secret behind this ayah. Uh, 
these these letters. He says Alif uh, is the comes it from the tip of the tongue. Lam is from the middle of the tongue. Wahia ashadul huruf and is the the letter that uses the tongue the most. Well, Mim comes from the end of the tongue. Uh, he says, and all words emanate from these three letters. The, uh, these three letters, the tip, middle, the end. Um, and then he says something interesting. Every surah that has alif, lam, mim combines the beginning, middle, and end of creation. He then says something about surah qaf, and then the one that was most interesting is he said, "وإذا أردت زيادة زيادة إيضاح فن هذا فتأمل مشتملت عليه سورة صاد من الخصومات المتعددة." He said, "Notice how surah Sad, okay, is full of خصومات. So خصومات. The Sad letter again appears. فأولها خصومة الكفار مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. He said, "Surah Sad begins with surah with Sad, right?" So he said, notice how uh, the constant feature of the surah are disputes. Khusumat. Khusumat, he's focusing on the sad letter here. He says the first dispute is the dispute of the, uh, the, between the disbelievers and the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Then we have the two people who appeared before Dawood Alayhi Salaam. And then we have the dispute of the people of hell. And then, uh, and then he goes into other types of khusumat. But I just thought this is extremely interesting how he goes from this letter to noticing that the feature that runs through this surah is khusumat, khusumat, disputes, and uh, yeah, disputes. And then he says here about surah Qaf, and he says at the end here, وَهَذِهِ قَطْرَةٌ مِنْ بَحْرٌ مِنْ بَعْضِ أَسْرَارِ هَذِهِ الْحُرُوفُ اللَّهُ عَلَمُ He says this is just a drop in the ocean regarding the secrets of these letters. Wallahu alam. Okay, dunya is a prison of the believer. He says there are two correct ways to interpret this hadith. First of all is to say that the believer is bound, is limited in this dunya through by as a result of his faith. Whereas, so a believer is prisoned as a result of his faith in this dunya, while the disbeliever is free to do as he wishes. The other interpretation is that this is... Uh, 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 he says, actually, what this hadith is talking about, uh, comparing the now with what will come in the future, inshallah, which is to say that a believer, even if you would have all the joys of this dunya, when compared to the hereafter, this is this dunya is like a prison. This dunya is like a prison, and the disbeliever is the opposite. He says, even if if the disbeliever were to have all the, uh, <laughs> he says, if the disbeliever were to have all the joys of this dunya, also all the sufferings of this dunya, compared to the hereafter, this dunya would be paradise for him. So the second interpretation is one that, yeah, I'd not come across, not come across before. The first one is obviously the obvious one. This believe this dunya restricts the believer, limits the believer, curtails the believer, bars the believer from doing many things, and therefore, in that sense, it's a prison. And for the disbeliever who doesn't have all those considerations, it's a paradise. But the other one is very interesting and deeper. 
he says compared to the hereafter even if you were the most you had the most enjoyable life here as a believer compared to the hereafter this world is a prison and for the disbelievers vice versa Allah I, 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 I very much like that point okay uh, this here is about titles he says uh, a person said أراني إذا دعيت باسمي دون لقبي شق ذلك علي جدا بخلاف السلف فإنهم كانوا يدعون بأسمائهم. He says, why is it that I find that someone addresses me by my name and not by my title? I find it difficult to accept. فقيل له, it was said to him, هذه لمخالفة العادات. This is because we are creatures of habits. لأن أنس النفوس بالعادة طبيعة ثابتة. He says, we are uh, we get accustomed to certain habits. He says, because in the past, the name, calling someone by his name, was not uh, indicative of their low status. As for today, he says, today, ranks in the hearts are determined by how we refer to the titles given. He says, if there is a shortcoming in this respect, in your heart you will feel a bit upset because he's good at disrespecting you. Uh, Sheikh Salih al-Rasimi has a very nice clip about this that I recommend watching. It's about five minutes. He says how, how titles nowadays are used freely, loosely. And he says, you know, there was once upon a time, he says, the whole of Qasim, you know, which is full of ulama, you know, he says, you know, in the whole of this area, we only had one or two people whom we could refer to as sheikh. He says, nowadays, everyone's given these titles. So it's nice, he says, and that's because how people are obsessed with titles and so on. So when that, when I read this, of course, that clip came to mind, and I recommend, as I said, watching it. فَلَمَّا صَارَ الْمُخَاطَابَةِ مُوَازِينَ الْمَقَادِيرِ شَقَّ عَلَى الْمَحْطُوطِ مِنْ رُتْبَتِهِ قَوْلًا كَمَا شَقَّ عَلَيْهِ فَعْلًا So he's just explaining why this could occur to someone. Um, now. Okay, move to this. This is very nice. This is here about the types of dua or the type of people making dua. Okay, he says we have four types of people. He says the worst kind of person is the person who does neither makes dua nor undertakes the reasons that would deliver the thing that he is after. He says that's the most ajazness. He says that person is the worst wasted of the people. He's basically wasting himself away. He says. Secondly, the second type of person, he says, is the one who, the complete opposite, in other words, is the one who makes his utmost effort to, do, to, to gain that thing that he wants or to reach that goal that he wants or whatever it is that he's aiming for, while making dua, this is the interesting bit, as though he has not done a thing. He does his utmost to get that goal while making dua to Allah as though he has done nothing. He says, He says, the third type. He says, the third type is the person who gives, who does all the things that could attain that goal but fails to make dua okay the fourth person he says is the opposite of that the person who makes lots of dua but fails to make any 
uh, efforts, physical efforts. So he says we have four types of people. A person who does no dua, who wants something, but yet makes no dua and makes no effort. Type two, the, the best type, the person who makes ultimate effort, utmost effort, and yet makes uh, dua as though he's done that. He makes a lot of dua, in other words. He's making dua, relying solely on Allah as though I have not done anything. The third type, the one who relies on himself, his own efforts, without making dua, failing to make dua. The fourth type, the one who makes dua and yet fails to make any efforts. I thought this categorization is is really uh, is useful. Is useful to bring might useful to teach as well. Useful to teach when we teach people about dua and the different types of dua and so on. Here we have a discussion. Here we have a very long discussion. Um, about intention. Uh, but unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to skip it. He runs for about 20 or so pages. This, along with the, in the last volume, if you remember, I mentioned something about salam. Very, very interesting discussions. Maybe, maybe at some point, Allahu A'lam, we can single these out for a short mini session. Very, very interesting discussion about intention, about uh, yeah, different types of how we intend things and so on. And he says something, you know, really nice. Okay. He says, ولكن لأن الكلام في مسألة النية شديد الارتباط بأعمال القلوب ومعرفة مراتبها وارتباطه بأعمال الجوارح وبناءه عليه وتأثيرها فيها صحة وفسادا وإنما هي الأصل المراد المقصود وأعمال الجوارح تبع مكملة ومتممة وإنني وإن النية بمنزلة الروح والعمل بمنزلة الجسد والأعضاء الذي يفارق الرفمات فموات وكذلك العمل إذا لم تصحبه نية تصحبه نية فحر فحركة عابث فحركة عابث فمعرفة فمعرفة أحكام القلوب أهم من معرفة أحكام الجوارح إذ هي أصلها وأحكام الجوارح متفرعات عنها أو عليها. Very interesting discussion. This the discussion on salam, the discussion on which will come in a moment on regarding mixed wealth, halal and haram. Very interesting discussion, but very very long. We're talking about 20, 30, 40 pages. We haven't got the time to go through that uh, uh, today. So maybe at some point we'll single out these for uh, some like mini sessions, 10, 15, 20 minutes or something. We'll see, inshallah. Um, here, <laughs> Ibn al-Qayyim tells us something interesting, comparing traveling to, another, to see another to traveling to see another human or to see one of Allah's creation and traveling to Allah. He says, لما سافر موسى إلى الخضر وجد في طريقه المس الجوع والنصر. He says, when Musa traveled to Khidr, along the way he got tired and he got very hungry. فقال الفتاة, he said to his uh, to the young boy who was uh, accompanying him, he said, آتنا بغداءنا لقد لقينا من سفرنا هذا نصبا. He said, bring us some food. We've really, really, we've become very tired as a result of this journey. He says, فإنه سفر إلى مخلوق. This was a journey to another creation. He says, whereas ولما وعده عفوا ربه ثلاثين ليلة وأتمها بعشر. But when Allah, uh, when Musa went to see Allah Azza wa and he waited 40 days, فَلَمْ يَأْكُلْ فِيهَا Musa did not eat anything during that period. لَمْ يَجِدْ مَسَّ الْجُوعُ وَلَا النَّصَرُ فَإِنَّهُ كَانَ السَّفَرٌ إِلَى رَبِّهِ تَعَالَى He says that Musa didn't feel tired, nor did he feel hungry, because this was a journey to Allah Ta'ala, to his Lord Tabarak wa Ta'ala. وَهَكَذَا سَفَرُ الْقَلْبُ وَسَيْرُهُ إِلَى رَبِّهِ لَا يَجِدُ فِيهِ and in the same way that traveling to Allah journeying to Allah you will not find that hardship and that difficulty that you will find if you were to travel to one of the creation I just like the comparison I really like that comparison um, and Ibn al-Qaim is, is uh, an expert of these things 
Then he brings us here another faida regarding maybe some of you have seen this before. Why is it that the Prophet ﷺ didn't designate his children or his grandchildren uh, as uh, successors, whereas it was Khilafah went to Abu Bakr Umar and Uthman? And the, the reason he's giving is that maybe the secret behind this is that uh, the Prophet didn't want this message to be uh, tainted by accusations of the Prophet ﷺ seeking kingship uh, after his death for his children or his grandchildren. And he says, actually, when Heraqil said to Abu Sufyan, he said, by the way, were there any kings in this man's family? So is it basically he's after uh, an old uh, um, mulk, he's trying to retrieve it? And Abu Sufyan said to him, no. Uh, he says, so this is perhaps the reason why the Prophet ﷺ did not signify or did not, sorry, designate his children or his grandchildren as successors. He says to protect this deen, to protect him, to protect his uh, from this from this accusation that you wanted your children to inherit your wealth, you wanted your children to inherit your authority, and so on. Allah alim. Okay, here's a nice benefit here. May Bari. قوله صلى الله عليه وسلم ما ينبغي لنبي إذا لبس لأمته أن ينزعها حتى يحكم الله بينه وبين عدائه احتج به من يقول أن النوافل تلزم بالشروع Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said you know it is not appropriate for a prophet if he wears his uh, armor to put it down until Allah is the soul decides between him and his enemies some of the scholars deduce from this that if somebody intends, uh, or somebody begins, I should say, begins, in, uh, commences in a voluntary act, he must complete it. طيب. Ibn al-Qayyim takes this evidence and actually says, actually, hold on. He says, this hadith, using this hadith in this way, is, is there's an issue with it. فَإِنَّهُ فِيهِ الْإِشَارَةِ إِلَى الْإِخْتِصَاسِ بِقَوْلِهِ مَا يَنْبَغِي الْنَبِيِ Because there is a clear indication in this hadith of ikhtisas. This is specific to Prophet ﷺ because he said, is not appropriate for a messenger or for a prophet. He did not so say, it is not appropriate for anyone. He said, it is not appropriate for a messenger. Or it is not appropriate for you. He says, it, it, it indicates that this is specific to him and that other people have an option. When this hadith, when you read, read this discussion, the thing that came to mind is there are many instances of this, but one of them that perhaps is relevant to us here is the Prophet ﷺ abstaining or refraining, I should say, from shaking the hands of those people or those women who came and gave him bay'ah. And the reason that he gave, وسلم, he says, in me, I do not shake the hands of women. He didn't say, do not shake the hands of women or something of that kind. He says, I do not shake the hands of women. So this istidlal uh, here, or this 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 uh, interpretation of this evidence by Ibn Qayyim is similar to that, I would say. Although there are differences, of course, but ones that we need not to get into at this uh, uh, at this moment. One one ninety, Ibn Qayyim here gives you a whole uh, list of words uh, and the differences between them and other similar words. So it's almost like uh, it's three or four pages, but very interesting. For example, he says, "Kats dima fi sharab." A kats in 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 Arabic is 
is something that contains drink. Otherwise, it's known as a zujaja. Okay. Khidr lilkhiba fil mara. Wabiduni has sitr. Zayin il mara fil hawjah. Any something of two, three pages of interesting words and the difference between them and very similar uh, other, other words. Al qadif al shatim bizin khassa. What does he say here? Uh, this is one of those golden statements. Laysal murad and you adhab, walakin yubtala, you hadhab. The purpose is not that you are punished, but the purpose is that you are uh, tested so that you are purified. But in Arabic, it sounds obviously a million times better. Laysal murad, laysal murad and you adhab, walakin yubtala, you hadhab. Now, I've not indicated what this one is. Okay, here. Al ilmu wal amal tawaman ummahuma alu al himma. He says action and uh, knowledge and action are twins. Their mother is alu al himma, having high aspirations, is how they usually translate it. Wal jahl wal batala tawaman ummahuma ithar al kasal. He says in jahl, being ignorant and batala, you know, wasting away, is uh, are twins. And their mother is being lazy. You thought, oh, one, oh, you're being lazy. <clears throat> this is, as I said, this is here, one, five, one, two, five, three, a very, very long discussion. Very, very interesting and useful about when halal and haram mix together and ihtiyat and being cautious and so on. Very interesting discussion. It runs through for 30 pages. I'm not going to go through it, but I recommend you read it. If you have the time and your ability, read this discussion. Uh, very interesting. Like I said about the uh, the one about Salam and the other one I mentioned just a short while ago. Uh, page 1140. Regarding intention. Okay. Then he gives us some benefits regarding fatwa. Uh, yeah, some statements regarding fatwa and so on that uh, yeah, some of you have come across. This is uh, in the Alim Bain, the scholar lies between is, is, is the in between. The scholar is the in between Allah and His creation. So let him consider carefully how He enters upon them and He already enters upon people. Uh, I, you know, some of these statements you'll be familiar with. Anyone who gives a fatwa to people about everything they ask. Anyway, put it differently. Anyone who answers everyone's question is a lunatic, Ibn Masari tells us. If you answer everyone's question, you're a lunatic. In other words, it's impossible to answer everyone's question or it's inappropriate to answer everyone's question. Uh, he says, if a man, Muhammad bin Ajlan says, if a, man, if a scholar fails to say, لا أدري, I don't know, he said he will be, yani he will basically uh, subject himself to lethal, lethal attack, if you were to translate it literally. Um, he says, the, Ibn Umar, oh, sorry, uh, Suhnoon says, and Ibn Ayna says from Abu, Abu Umar, Ibn Abdul Barah, I believe. No, Ibn Abdul Barah, correct. The most. Not courageous, it's the ones who are most uh, bold to give fatwa are often the people with the least knowledge and other similar statements. With that, we come basically to the end of uh, this volume. Uh, we come to the end of this volume, and that leaves us with the final volume for next session, inshallah. If anyone has any issues or questions or things they want to bring up now, 
they feel free to do so. Otherwise, we'll wrap up, inshallah ta'ala, and hope to see you next week, inshallah ta'ala. Any issues, guys? Any questions? Any remarks, comments? Uh, anything you want to add? Anything you want to say? No? Okay, perfect. Jazakumullah khairan. I will see you next week, bidnillah ta'ala. Until then, ask Allah Azizal to keep you all in safe hands and uh, and to bless all of you and to reward you. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.